0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at CGI Burlington.org. So privileged to be in your presence. I really truly can say I'm in the presence of greatness. And and like God, others may see just young people. But we who understand what God is doing We see royalty And it truly is an honor And a privilege to serve you You know When I was a young person When I was a young person I would have never done something Like what Landon just did That takes courage To stand up in front of everybody and sing But it also takes A commitment to service that he's not up here thinking of himself. He's up here thinking how he can serve. How he can make youth day special. I can remember in grade nine, what was on my mind was a pair of painter pants that I owned. I owned two pairs. Now, do you know what overalls are? Do you know what painter pants are? They're like half overalls. So it's overalls, but you take the top half off. And so they're pants, but they have the loop for the hammer or the paintbrush and all kinds of pockets. They were in fashion when I was in grade 9. And I had two. I had a denim pair, and I had a white pair. The white pair were really cool. Not only did I have painter pants, but I went out and I bought platform shoes. And they had like a, I think maybe a two and a half inch heel, black platform shoes. And I had a plaid shirt and a big afro. And a a choker necklace. And I was cool. And that's what was on my mind as a young person. I didn't think of others. I thought of myself. And I think the young people here, all of you, are remarkable. I really do see tremendous qualities in you. And I think all of the adults here see this. And we've been watching you over time. Certainly my children from birth. But the rest of you, for at least five years... And uh, Joshua and Winston, I know from many years ago, and now I've seen them again. And I've just watched all of you, how you're maturing, and what you're becoming. And that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, my son told me yesterday, Daniel, that you had uh, received three awards in school. So uh, congratulations, and congratulations to all of you. Again, when when I was that age, my mind was not on school. It was just on how cool I looked, or I thought I looked don't have any pictures, so I can't prove it. But uh, that's where my mind was. And even when we have guests here, they all acknowledge when they come through how special our young people are. And so thank you. You're, you're, very, uh, you're a very vital part of this community. And I think it's no coincidence that uh, Deacon Jan, and never said, Pastor Jan, maybe I'm seeing the future. <laughs> Deacon Jan said, uh, the first message ever preached in Burlington was about the lighthouse and the purpose of the lighthouse. And now here we are moving into the lighthouse church. More than a coincidence. I also think it's more than a coincidence that the very first message preached on this day, or I shouldn't say message preached, but the very first service is youth day. I think God is trying to tell us something. And I think in the past, the church, I think I can say this safely, we failed our youth. We, we, we did not focus on the youth. Our focus was on ourselves and on evangelizing the world. And while we were evangelizing the world and trying to bring new people into the church, the youth were going out the back door. And we've got to stop this. And so we're here to tell you, and I think God is telling us, you matter, and you matter a great deal. You are our priority. Deacon Jan in his prayer said, If the young people don't embrace this truth, the church has no future. If the young people keep going out the back door, we're doomed. The Lord is sweet. The Bible is sweet. We want you to taste what we have tasted and to embrace this truth. So that's what I want to share with you today. Let's go to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20, verse 29. The scripture says this The glory of youths is their strength. That's your glory, your health, your fitness. You have this as young people. But the beauty of the aged is their gray hair. In other words, We have a thing or two that we can show because we've been on this planet for a while. And through maturity, through study, we've developed a bit of wisdom. But we don't have your strength. We don't have your vitality. And I think one of the reasons this congregation is is vibrant is because half of us are young people who have strength. I do get to travel to different congregations. And I have to say, if I can just share this with you I'm concerned I'm concerned about the church of God and its longevity we know the scripture says that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church but it doesn't say necessarily that the church will always be vibrant and strong you could be on your deathbed in a coma and the gates of hell have not prevailed against you you're still alive but you're hanging on by a threat And it seems to me that the Church of God is hanging on by a thread. Before you were born, the Church of God was vibrant. It was worldwide. It was a force on the planet. You you couldn't go anywhere, it seemed, certainly in the Western civilization, and ask people, have you heard of the plain truth? Have you heard of Herbert Armstrong? And everybody had heard of it. It was the number one religious program for a period of time. And the magazine was everywhere. And today, the Church of God it seems is nowhere. And and what we need is a revival in the church. And that revival, where it's going to come from, it's not going to come from people who are old and feeble, who don't have energy. You know, after we get up and we walk around a little bit, we need to sit down again and catch our breath. We need people who are vibrant, and that's what you bring to us—the the energy, the glory of youth. And I don't want to sound like the church of God in the past when I say we failed our young people that they, all the, everything they did was wrong no, the church was wonderful it had phenomenal accomplishments but I think we did let down on our young people but it's a relay race they ran their leg and they passed the baton to us and now we must run our leg but the leg that we run is dependent on the leg that they ran we're building on their success and we're going to make mistakes too And then we're going to pass the baton on to the next generation. And you will take the baton and run. But let's run this leg together. Let's figure out together as a congregation, as a community, how do we make this congregation work for you? That this is not a place that your parents bring you to, and you can't wait to get out. That this is a community that you're very much a part of. And, And I think there's going to be some tension. I think there's going to be some tension between what you want for the church and what the older generation wants for the church. But that tension is good. And we can work through that tension. We, We have the responsibility of holding on to this precious truth that people have lost their lives for over time. But we also have the responsibility of passing it on to you. And that it would mean something to you. And so that's what we want to do here in building this community and ensuring that you're a part of it, an essential part of it. I don't know if you've you heard this poem called The Cookie Thief. Ever heard that? Let me read this poem to you. I think it's fascinating. And think of it in terms of the culture that we're trying to build here. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to draw. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookie and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking if I wasn't so nice, and blackened his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also so rude why he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair. The others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. I think it's a fascinating poem, and it speaks to perception. Perception. And we can be cookie thieves in the church where people have the best of intentions but because we're wrapped up in ourselves we become suspicious of each other. And we can't have that. That would be stealing from our potential. We have great potential here. There's something that we're building. But to build it, we have to believe in one another. We must believe in one another. We have to give each other the benefit of the doubt Deacon Jan in his prayer spoke about when we look at each other can we see Jesus Christ and see that in each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt and I think for young people again historically uh, young people were suspicious of the older generation in the church and the older generation was suspicious of the young people let's not have that here let's not have that here we have one intention And, and it's very clear we put it on our roadmap. no hidden agenda if you want to know what we're up to it's right here in black and white our vision is to have an actively serving congregational family that worships God in spirit and in truth and keeps the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that's what we're trying to build here and so a family means there are many members many ages We want everybody actively serving. Just as you've done today on Youth Day. You're you're very much involved in this congregation. And every week, young people are involved. You're contributing to this congregation. That's what we want. That's our agenda. That everyone actively contributes. We have our guiding principle. We ought to know how to behave ourselves as the house of God. We are the house of God. And we ought to know how to behave ourselves which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And I just want to share with you two values and two goals. One is respect. Respect. That we address everyone who interacts with us respectfully. So let's have that. Let's let's really adhere to that. That if I'm addressing a young person, just because you're young doesn't give me the right to be disrespectful. And if you're addressing someone who's older, it's going to be done with that respect and that care for the years that we've been on the planet. And the last one, kindness. Kindness. We care for one another and look for opportunities to show it. Let's really live this. Let's really care for one another and be kind to one another. We have a goal here. Goal number two. To provide a place where every believer feels safe and valued. So everyone that comes here should feel safe. We we don't have pocket knives. We don't have fangs. We don't have claws. We're not going to scratch and bite and tear each other apart. We're just going to be kind to one another. And everyone can feel safe here. This is our objective. And the last one The last goal, number seven, says to become a model Christian community. That's what we want to do. We want to set the standard, set the example that when other churches hear about how we operate, they want to go back and emulate us, that we provoke them to good works. So we want to to create this community, and we cannot do it without our young people. If you're not involved, we're not a model community. We can only be a model community if you embrace what we're doing here and you're very much a part of it. So what I want to do for this sermon, the time that we have together, is I want to look at the life of King David. <clears throat> but before I do that, let me share with you an experiment. And my wife is tired of me sharing this experiment. But I just it's so profound that I can't help but talk about it. It's called the Stanford Experiment, and you can Google this and look it up. And I think it's a, a vital experiment. There, there are lessons from this experiment that are vital for you. They'll give you wisdom as you mature. It's a man, uh, Philip Zimbardo, who was a social scientist. He put on this experiment, and what he did was he recruited 70 young people, uh, not teenagers, but young adults and he put them through psychological testing to ensure that they were psychologically healthy. So he picked the the, the best, the most stable people, and he picked 14 of them, to participate in a prison experiment. Half, the computer would select half, would be prison guards, and half would be prisoners, and it would last for two weeks, 14 days. So on a particular day, if you were a prison guard, a chauffeur, a limousine would arrive to pick you up and take you to the experiment. If you were in the other half, on that day, a police cruiser would appear and they would arrest you in front of everybody and it was real. They would arrest you, take you in the cruiser, take you to the police station, book you, and you're now a prisoner. Take your clothes off, give you prison guard, give you a number, you're no longer a name. They now refer to you by this number. To make a long story short, this experiment had to be stopped on day six. Otherwise, lives would be lost. That what Philip Zimbardo showed, and this, this experiment by the way is now illegal. It will never be done again, as far as we know, as far as, as long as this government is around. They cannot do this experiment anymore. It's, it's shown to be immoral to do this. But what he proved was that our identities Are fragile. Who you are and who I am, our personality, our identity, is fragile. And it depends upon our environment. So these healthy individuals, you know, the good kid next door, went into this experiment. The prison guards became brutal and ruthless. And the prisoners became powerless. They suffered psychological damage. And and the prison guards got carried away with their authority. And I'm bringing this up because the environment, the culture, that we want to build here, we first build the culture, and then the culture builds us. We shape our environment, and then our environment shapes us. So when we say we want to build this model Christian community, and we want you to help us do it, it's because once it's created... Once it's shaped, it will shape us and everybody that comes and joins us. So I mentioned this, this uh, experiment had to be cut short. And in the end, they realized what happened in Nazi Germany could have easily happened in America. It wasn't anything peculiar about the Germans. It's just human beings. And in fact, what happened in Nazi Germany, I'll go as far as to say, happens, happened and continues to happen. In the churches of God. It happens in the churches of God. That we have churches of God. Where the leaders. Are like Nazis. And the members. Are like powerless prisoners. We don't want that here. We want God's community. God's standards here. We want mutual respect. And we want to build a community that's safe. So let's look at. King David. Because that's what he did. God put him in charge of his people Israel. And he had such a heart in him. That he created an environment. Within which Israel could thrive. Because he had the heart of God. So let's take three lessons from the life of David. 1 Samuel 17. This is the story of David and Goliath. And I think you're all familiar with the five smooth stones and the sling that he used. I don't think we know what a sling is. I think you've heard of a slingshot. Have you seen a slingshot? When I was a kid, I had a slingshot. We had, uh, my friends and I, we bought these slingshots. They're pretty powerful toys. And uh, what we did, we were walking from school, and we saw the neighbor's houses there. So we put these small stones, and we aimed them at the neighbor's houses. And they'd be like a little glass window, a triangle, or a diamond, or a circle. And we were trying to hit that. And I, we all shot one, and it went right in the center of the door, and cracked the glass. And we all bragged and boasted about how it was our shot that did that. And then the homeowner opened the door. And we all started pointing fingers, and saying it was the other person. And we ran. So we were just idle kids, and we didn't care about anything except ourselves. And here we were damaging property. And we didn't care. But David became so accurate with his sling. Because he had the heart of God. He cared about the sheep that were given to him. Sheep were put in his care. And he had to protect these sheep. So he spent his time perfecting his sling. And from what I understand, a sling is like a material of some kind where you can put a stone in and it has two, you hold it together but you you swing it and you let go at just the right moment of one side while you hold the other and the stone that's in it is released and he became such an accurate shot with this that he could protect the sheep that were under his care he cared that much and so here now we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17 verse 18 where his father Jesse gives him cheese to take to the, his brothers and to, and to bring back some news from them and look at verse 20 early in the morning David left the flock so he has these sheep that he's looking after he's been given a charge by his father and he gets up early in the morning to do this but notice he left the flock in the care of a shepherd so this was his responsibility he didn't just leave it and the sheep are now untended he made sure that he handed over the sheep to a shepherd because he cared about them and then he went on the errand that he was given and he loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed so he understood how to take direction and what his father asked him to do that's what he set out to do And so he reached the camp of the army, as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. And verse 22, David ran to the battle lines. So he had that courage, and Landon again, that that heart of a a lion, he had courage to get up here and to sing. You, You clearly have courage, you're not fearful. David was like that, ran to the battle lines. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. But this time, David heard it. So all Israel had heard this. This is his usual thing. They're they're all lined up, ready to, to battle. And the way they would do battle in this time is, instead of all of them having to go to battle... You send out your best man, we'll send out our best man, and let them fight. And then whoever loses, that whole side loses. So here Goliath is defying them, but this time it's different. What he's saying isn't different. What's different is that David heard it this time. Verse 26. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who killed this Philistine? David can't believe it. So he wants to know, If somebody takes care of this, what's going to be done for him? And removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And this is the first lesson that I would like us to take from King David's life. Your life is about a bigger purpose. And see that bigger purpose. David understood this bigger purpose. So when he came to the camp... And saw... Goliath... Nine foot six inches tall... So nine and a half feet tall... This is a giant... And he is... Armed to the teeth... He's like a human tank... And he sees this human tank... Defying the army of Israel... Because he subscribed... To a higher purpose... He's asking like... Okay... What's the reward for someone who takes care of this? Because I understand the scriptures. And I understand that God told us we're to move into this land and wipe everybody out. Because this is our land. So I don't care how big or tall or small or short or fat or or armed or not. It doesn't matter. God's will is that we have this land. And so I'm happy to step in and take care of this. Because I understand what God's will is. and and, and that's what we want for you young people that your life is not about getting up eating, drinking, going to school watching a bit of TV playing a bit of computer games and then going back to bed and, and repeating the cycle over again no there's more to this than what's the ordinary lifestyle that we see on a day to day basis God has reached in he's doing something with your life we want you to see this bigger picture So he asked here what will be done. He's told what the reward is. And instead of being happy that David is willing to take on this giant, verse 28 says, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Verse 29. And said David, can I even speak? This is the NIV. It says, can I even speak? I think the King James has a better translation of this. In the King James it says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And this word um, cause, which they say speak, it means a matter spoken of. So David is saying isn't this matter hasn't this matter been spoken of and the NIV is translating it to say well can't I even speak but the King James I think is accurate is there not a cause there's a bigger purpose being worked out here so so what's the issue here's Goliath defying God and the armies of Israel is there not a cause and it's from this perspective that we need to lead our lives is there not a cause so here we are in a world that is rapidly falling apart, it's falling apart. People, young people are purposeless. Suicide is, is rampant, it's an epidemic among young people. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason why we shouldn't come together and build a model community? And whatever obstacles, whatever challenges face us, it doesn't matter. Whatever Goliaths come in our way, It doesn't matter. Because there's a cause. There's a reason. There's a need. And it's in God's word. We're going to stand on God's promises. That's what we see. We're standing on the promises. And so we're going to go forth in confidence. Because there's a cause. There's a purpose to our being here. Nice comfortable chairs. It's a wonderful facility that God has given us. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason that God is doing this? let's fulfill that purpose and let's fulfill it together drop down to verse 37 David explains to the king the lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this philistine David had a heart that said I have a purpose I was given a flock of sheep to look after. That was my purpose. And because I understood my purpose, I had the confidence that God would look after me. If I look after the sheep, God will look after me. And so let's subscribe to this bigger purpose that says if we look after God's people and his purpose, God will look after us. We have nothing to worry about. God will take care of us. So that's the first point there's a cause. Listen to this quote by John Ruskin. John Ruskin is a 19th century uh, social thinker, and he influenced the way people built during the Victorian era. He says this, When we build, let us think that we build forever. When we build, let us think that we build forever. So we're here building something together. Let's not just build this for ourselves. Let's think that we're building this forever. Let it not be for present delight, nor for present use alone. Let it be such work as our descendants will thank us for. And let us think as we lay stone on stone that a time is to come when those stones will be held sacred because our hands have touched them. And that men will say, as they look upon the labor and wrought substance of them, see, this our Father did for us. And this is what we're asking you to do, young people. Join us. We're building something. But we're not building it for ourselves. We're building a model community. Not for ourselves only. Not for present use only. We want to set a standard so high that it inspires the church of God all around the world into a revival. The church was great before you were born. It was known worldwide. It was powerful. And then it collapsed. And now we're trying to piece it back together stone upon stone. But for the most part, young people, You've come into a church that's people. You've come into a church that's somewhat anemic. A lot of the members are in shock. A lot of the members are wounded. They've been through tragedy before you were born. And they're limping. And they're wounded. And some of them are coming here. They're going to hear about us. There's going to be a feeling of hope in them. And they're going to come among. And let it be that when they come, they experience a model community. But let it be that even after we're dead and gone, if God spares time, that future congregations will be built upon the model that we set here. We're not just building for ourselves. Let's build for the future. And let's build it together. 1 Corinthians 3. Think you can do this, young people, that you can we can work together? I think you can. I think again, your your conduct, your thinking, your personalities, your character. We're very, very proud of you. And, and let's let's do something that hasn't been done before. Let's build together. And 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 says the Apostle Paul speaking, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose, with care, how to build on it. And and that's what we have been doing here. We have focused from that first day, February 23rd, when we came together. Let's lay the foundation. Let's lay the foundation. Let's build a healthy culture. Let's build a place where people are safe. Let's build a place where people are happy to come. But let's build it together. And I think God has now put us in this building to say, I approve what you're doing. And now what I want you to do is to begin to think of evangelizing. Begin to think about bringing others in. But we must create the culture and make it so strong that when others come in, they adapt to this culture that we've created. They adapt to being kind to one another. They adapt to never gossiping. They adapt to caring and concern for one another. We've got to make sure that it's vibrant here. And we need your energy and your commitment to do this. The second lesson I'd like us to learn from King David is the story of the Amalekite. We'll find it in 2 Samuel. And it reminds me uh, again when I was in grade nine. It was track and field day, and I was just walking around the field. There were all different things happening: long jump, high jump, all different. Th- I was not actually participating. And these people came up to me in a rush, in a kind of a haste, and said that someone was missing for the 400 meter race, and could I run it for them? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I can. And so I changed, and I got up there, and we went up to the starting line. And I was pretty popular in grade 9. And this would make me even more popular. You know, to come in at the last minute, be the guy who saves the day. And so I had never run the 400 race before, but I knew it was a longer race than, say, 100 meters. But it wasn't a marathon. So I thought I could could manage this. I'll sort of run the first leg of the race, manage it, and then pick up speed in the second half. So we line up. The gun goes off, and I start running. The only thing is, within seconds, I was way behind. This was a 400-meter race, but these guys had trained for this race. And they were sprinting the whole way. They were done when I was just at the halfway mark. And it was, and the whole school was watching. It was to say it was embarrassing, is an understatement. I was like, I thought I was going to be the hero. I was the dog. People were so embarrassed, so ashamed of me, and I was representing the school. And I had no clue what I was doing. I just thought, yeah, 400 meter, the glory, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And you know, it's, it's not unlike King Saul who went into a role that he wasn't prepared for. Unlike King David, who spent years and years and years preparing for this role. So when he was put in the role, he could fulfill it. And so, our second lesson from David is to prepare for your future. Your future greatness. Prepare for it now by becoming grounded in your principles. What do you stand for? You prepare by becoming grounded in your principles. Let's look at King David and his principles. 2 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 1. This is when Saul died. And in verse 2, he says, On the third day a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. So, David, they know he's the next king. He's paying him honor. David asked him, Where have you come from? And he answered, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. David said to the young man who brought him the report. How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and said, What can I do? And I said, What can I do? And he asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite. So this is not an Israelite, but it's an Amalekite who's come into Israel. And he's now part of the Israelite nation. But he's of Amalekite origin. Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him. Because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. So I knew he was going to die anyway. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm. And I brought them here to my Lord. So I, I, I know what's going to get me in the good books of David. I know that Saul and David have been at odds. I'm going to kill Saul. And then I'm going to bring his crown and his bracelet to David. And that should, I should get some kind of reward for that. Some sort of glory, I think. Maybe uh, high office. Let's see. Verse 11. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them so this is a kind of an interesting reaction David and Saul have been at odds for years Saul had 3,000 men chasing David for 16 years to kill him and now Saul is finally dead and the Amalekites probably thinking David's going to rejoice instead he goes into mourning they mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, so, so David is now considering this, and he calls the young man and he says, where are you from? He's, tr- he's trying to figure this out and, and trying to make sense of this. He says, I'm a son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. So David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. You're you're telling me that you are in the Israelite camp and you don't understand the value and the high honor of the Lord's anointed. And it, it didn't cause you any concern to destroy the Lord's anointed? Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go strike him down. So he struck him down. And he died. That's King David. He was rooted. In the principle. Of honor. That he understood. what Who God is. What God is doing. And the value of the Lord's anointed. And it didn't matter that the Lord's anointed. Was mentally ill. That the Lord's anointed. Thought he was his enemy. Even though he was so loyal to the king. It didn't matter that the Lord's anointed tried to kill him. What mattered was he was the Lord's anointed. And David had this principle that you honor the Lord's anointed. And so when you come to think that you can run a 400 meter without any preparation, and you're going to get glory, you've taken no time to figure out who I am and what I stand for. And you think I'm going to honor you because you bring me a crown. Destroy this man. Put him to death. We don't want that that sword around. That's how strong David was in his principles. And we're in a society that is falling apart. People don't have the values that they did decades ago. And so the question for you is, what are your principles? What do you really believe in? And you know, my son sermon was a great job. Uh, prove it. Prove it. Have you proven what you believe in? And will you stand by it no matter what? This is the question. The third point God's hand is on your life, He's blessing you. You will have haters. You will have haters. You will have people that will just hate you for no reason. That's what David had haters. Psalm 37. 37 and verse 1 says do not fret because of the wicked so if you're you're grounded and rooted in what God is doing in your life you don't have to worry about the wicked and do not be envious of wrongdoers you're going to see wrongdoers with things don't be envious of them for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb trust in the Lord and do good so you will live in the land and enjoy security take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart do you have desires you you should it's good to have desires there's a school of thought that thinks desire is bad you should have no desires no desire is good and God will put desire in your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart trust in him I want to share with you a story that I recently became aware of Uh, a gentleman by the name of Andre Rieu. he's a famous conductor do you know Andre Rieu? yeah, famous conductor and he was in Berlin, Germany conducting, leading a concert and there was lots of children in the audience and that's typical But a two-year-old child came up to him afterward with his mother and said, I want to play with you one day. So this this was remarkable. Because at that age, he said, all they do is just soil their their diapers uh, and sleep through half the concert. This two-year-old was awake for the entire concert, and he was just focused. And afterward, he came up and said, I want to play with you one day. A year later, Andre got a letter from the boy's teacher saying he's learned the violin and he wants to play with you. So Andre invited him and had him perform on stage at three years old with no sheet music. He memorized the entire score, the entire song, the piece. He memorized it all and played this complex classical piece on his violin at three years old. He's now 13 and continues to amaze people wherever he plays and at two he had the desire to perform and play the violin he's a child prodigy but I think that his name is Akim Kamara if you want to look him up Akim Kamara I think that each one of you have a desire to do something and God will fulfill that desire and that desire is part of your DNA It's part of what makes you who you are. And you should pursue it. Be true to it. Because in each of you is music. In each of you is a song, a story that wants to come out. And God knows what that is. He put it in you. And he will bless you with the desires of your heart. Just trust in him. And and, and let it unfold. I think this young man, Akim, is remarkable. You are more, you're more remarkable. There's a bigger story in you. There's more greatness in you. And God will bless it. But trust Him. And pursue Him. And as you do, you will have haters. But I'm going to encourage you to... You know, the cameras now, you can flip on your phone between still and video. Keep it in video mode. Not physically. Spiritually. When you face haters... Don't see life as a snapshot and, oh, these people are against me and I, it's so difficult. See life as a movie. And that's what it says here. They will soon fade like grass. When you face haters, see life as a movie. You're unfolding your greatness and they're fading. So you don't worry about haters. First Samuel 26 Saul began loving David. He, he just was. David was a remarkable young man. Saul loved him so much that he recruited him to come into his court. But that love turned to intense hatred. Saul, beginning to see the story that was unfolding in David, beginning to see David's greatness, became envious. And here now, and, and as I mentioned, he chased him for many years, trying to kill him. Verse twenty six, verse six of verse twenty six of chapter twenty six. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruah. So these men are with him, Joab's brother. Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? So this is going to take some courage. So Saul has all of his soldiers all around him, and David wants to go into the camp, wants to know who's going to come with him. I will go with you," said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Probably the same spear that he threw at David trying to kill him, pin him to the wall. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. So they, they have to protect the king. So they're all lying around King Saul. Abishai said to David, Today, so Abishai is with David. And he's looking at this situation. They've gone into the camp. And they're right beside Saul. His spear is by his head. They've got the spear. And Abishai said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't have to strike him twice. In one thrust, he's done. And this whole thing is over. This trial, this protracted trial that David has been facing will end right now. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. Again, his principles. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So David was committed to honoring the Lord's anointed. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, The Lord himself will strike him. So David understood that God will take care of his enemies. Or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish which is actually what happened but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go so David took the spear and water jug near, near Saul's head and again he keeps repeating the fact that the spear is near Saul's head he could do him in just like that but he takes the spear and they left no one saw or knew about it Nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army. To Abner. So Abner is the general. He's the in command of the army. To Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you? Who calls to the king? David said, You're a man. He's really saying, like, you're the man. Okay? Aren't you the man? You're the big boss, the big guy? You're the man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the King? Someone came to destroy your Lord the King. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? David started saying, Why are we doing this? Now, let my lord, the king, Listen to his servants' words. If the Lord has incited you against me, okay. So let's look at the possibilities here. Maybe God has incited you to do this, and God is the one telling you to destroy me. If that's the case, then may he accept an offering. I, I, I will repent, and I will. If i sinned, and God is sending you to punish me, I will repent, and I will bring an offering to the Lord. If, however, notice this. If, however, people have done it. If people have done this. May they be cursed before the Lord. So there are people who hate David. And they are working Saul to hate him. And he's saying, if people have done this, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance. And have said... Go serve other gods. We don't care what happens to you. Just get out of here. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground. Far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea. As one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said. I have sinned. Come back David my son. Because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool. And have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spirit, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So again, have those principles that you know, you, there are certain things that you will just never do, because they are deep within you, these principles. And even with haters, you're not going to violate your deeply held beliefs and principles verse 24. As surely as I value your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. God will deliver us from all trouble if we trust Him. So these were the three points that I wanted to bring up. With David and Goliath, to have that view of a larger purpose. Your life is not just about you. Your life is much bigger. It has a grand purpose buy into that purpose. With the Amalekite, to really uh, prepare to being grounded, you prepare for your greatness by being grounded in your principles. And we saw in the Bible study, Deacon Jan was talking about King Solomon, who, as he became successful, began to unravel. Because he didn't have his heart prepared the way David's heart was prepared. So prepare your heart with these principles. And then this third point. As your greatness unfolds, and it will. We're we're watching it. We, We are witnesses of your greatness unfolding. As it unfolds, you will have haters. You will have people who will be envious. Who may even try to destroy you. Trust in the Lord. They're fading. You're growing. You don't need to worry about I don't know if you've heard of Gia Khan. Have you heard of her? Gia Khan. When she was 15, she had the desire to become a famous actress. And for the next 10 years, she pursued this career with remarkable results. She was just a joy to be with and just a phenomenal actress. earlier this week her mother found her hanging in her bedroom at the age of 25 she was just on a remarkable path of success killed herself at age 25 she left a suicide note to her boyfriend and she said this a couple of excerpts from it I have nothing left in this world to live for after this. I wish you loved me like I loved you. The pain you have caused me every day has destroyed every bit of me. Destroyed my soul. I have no confidence or self-esteem left. Whatever talent, whatever ambition, you took it all away. You destroyed my life. This was a young lady that had so much to live for. So beautiful by the world standards. And so vibrant. And she got caught up with a young man. Who really didn't care about her. And set out to destroy her. To the point where she felt her life was worthless. And she hung herself. Satan wants to destroy what is precious. Be careful. very, very careful. And again, Deacon Jan in the study talked about the time, as some of you are getting older, it's time to start dating. You want to have perception. Like King David. Somebody comes flattering me, bringing me a crown, bringing me a bracelet. I can see through this. I have powers of perception. And I want to know, like, who are you? What was your thinking? And so in the same way, like David, Develop powers of perception. And be able to see things and understand what's happening around you. And what motivates people. Because your life is precious. And Satan wants to destroy it. And you're going into a world now with much opportunity. You have a lot of opportunity. You're going into a world that we, your parents, don't understand. The world is changing so fast and so rapidly... We don't understand the future. It's just coming so quickly. You know, Alvin Toffler, in the 70s, wrote a book called Future Shock. And and the premise of the book was this. That you could leave here today, Burlington, Ontario, and we could drop you in the middle of Pakistan or Nigeria or um, Switzerland in a culture that you don't know or understand or you don't speak the language. And you would literally, psychologically, you would go into shock. Because there's nothing familiar. There are no markers. There's nothing you can orient yourself with. And so your mind would go into shock. Because there's nothing familiar. The premise of his book was, the future is coming at us so fast that within moments, or within a few years, nothing will be recognizable. And people will go into a psychological shock from the speed of the future. So, the future has two things. One, it has promise. There are things that you will be able to do. This thing called the internet, it's phenomenal. And people are doing things on the internet. Young people, that older people work for decades and have never seen the money that young people are making online in in minutes young people make millions of dollars a day on the internet and there are people who have lived their whole lives and never seen a million dollars so the future holds all kinds of promise but it also holds peril it also holds peril there are more dangers, there's more poison there's more ways for Satan to destroy young people than there ever was And so we need to be careful as we go into this future. And we want to build a place here for you, with you, that is safe. And what Alvin Toffler said was, the one thing that will protect us from future shock is having personal traditions. Having things that you do, routine things that you do every day or every week or every month or every year that will always be there for you. So no matter how rapidly the world changes around you, you have psychological stability in these traditions. And I think a powerful protection for us is the Sabbath day and our community. That every seven days we pause. And it doesn't matter how crazy the week was, we pause. And it doesn't matter how bitter or how hateful people might be in our environment. come to a safe place. And so no matter how fast the future gets, we will be psychologically safe and spiritually safe. And so we can take advantage of the promises of the future and avoid the perils by having this community together. Look at verse 25 of 1 Samuel 26. This is David's enemy. This is the man that devoted his life to destroying David. Verse 25. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. Even his enemy could see it. God's hand is on David. And as much as I've tried to destroy him, he's going to do great things and triumph. And, you know, this lady... So tragic, this young lady, Jia Khan, she was going to do great things, but she was unable to triumph. You will triumph as long as you trust God, stay in the way of God, let His angels surround you. Help us build this community as a place for you to recharge, to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel a sense of belonging. And then go and do great things. And triumph. Let's conclude in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. We find ourselves very much like ancient Israel. Where the older generation is passing away and the younger generation is coming up. And you're going into a land of great promise. That land is the future. You will be doing great things that we will be in awe. You know when I was a younger man, I would go back to England every uh, couple of years and visit my grandmother. So I was, I was born in my grandmother's hands while my mom was on the run. We lived in Liverpool. my mom lived in, uh, my grandmother lived in Manchester. And so my mom ran to my grandmother for safety. And while she was on the run, I was born. And I was born in my grandmother's hands. And so we always had this bond. And I I thought I was doing great things in my career. But when I went back to visit my grandmother, I wasn't some great consultant. I was just Adrian. And, And as long as I was with her, I was just Adrian. And I felt loved and valued and a sense of belonging and a sense of rootedness. And I think that's what we want for you here. That no matter how great things you accomplish, we'll appreciate you for those things. But we'll appreciate you for you. And a lot of these celebrities who are multi-multi-millionaires and billionaires, and some of them now are planning to go to space because they don't know what to do with all the money that they've got, they are going psychologically insane. Because they don't have people around them who truly value them. They have lots of people around them who value their money. But not them. And our message to you is, we value you. It doesn't matter to us how much money you make or don't make. What matters to us is you. And we love you. And we want you to be successful. And we're going to do our best to create a community for you that is strengthening for you, that supports you, and enables you to go on and do great things. But as you go into this future, A future that we don't understand. We can't predict. But has a lot of promise for you. That you'll be able to seize and take advantage of. Verse 17. Do not say to yourself. My power. And the might of my own hand. Have gotten me this wealth. Don't say that. That's, That's how King Solomon fell. He began to think he was the one. Who was generating this wealth. When it was God who was giving it to him. But remember the Lord your God. And that's what we're asking you, young people. As your greatness unfolds, remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. He's the one that gives that to you. So that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your ancestors, as He is doing today. You have your future. And God will bless you. And we see it. We see qualities in you that are unfolding. And we support it. We want you to stand on our shoulders. We want to be the scaffold that allows you to reach new heights. And we celebrate you. But remember God. And we want to build a place with you that enables you to remember God. And we've said our vision. Is to build a model community. That any congregation could come to and say, you know, what they're doing in Burlington, CGI Burlington, that's what every church should be like. And it's not arrogance. It's not self-centeredness. It's service. The best way for us to serve is our example. We live it. We don't just preach it, we live it. And we live it with our young people. Listen to this quote by Margaret Mead. We're a small group, and we might think, you know, are we dreaming to say we're going to build something that has never been done before? We're going to take it to a level that every other congregation and church has to look and say, we need to be like that. Margaret Mead says this Never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. Never underestimate this. In fact, it is the only thing that ever has. The world has never been changed by a large group of people who all agree and say, let's do this thing. It's always been changed by a small group of committed people. We are committed to fulfilling God's word. We want you to join us with your energy, your vibrancy, your youth. The glory of youth. Join us in building this community. And don't doubt that just because we're small that we can do this. We absolutely will do this with God's help. He's doing it. He's the one that's giving us all these resources. And he's going to be sending people here. And when they come, we want to provide an environment for their young people, for old people, and everybody in between that is safe. Is it going to be difficult? Of course it is. But we must do this. For you personally, but also for the people that God will send. So young people, we talk about you. We pray for you. We're proud of you. You are remarkable people. 2013, I would not want to be a young person today. I would fail as a young person. I wasn't such a good young person before. I'd be worse today. I'm very, very proud of you. You have incredible potential. We're here for you. And let's build together. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.